0: episode 332 of the sausage factory welcome in this episode i chat to scott Brody of heart shaped games about their wildlife reserve based tactical rpg we are the caretakers it's quite a mouthful isn't it really but it's exactly what it is it's an extraordinary role-playing game set in a alien wildlife reserve and it's an alien planet and these people are trying to keep alive certain creatures in this reserve but uh, poachers and what have you are trying to stop them because they want to make a living and it's a very very interesting topic for a very 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 interesting game which is why I had Scott on because I wanted to talk about how it was made why they made it and uh, how it made it so much fun because it is we are the caretakers Is an extraordinarily entertaining game as well as being very hmm, educational, inspirational, that kind of stuff. makes you ask questions because it's definitely a mirror of our own problems with wildlife reserves across the world. And it's really interesting how they've approached it in an abstract way without causing offence. But really, it's really down to how people interact with each other and what drives them to do the things that they do. So, without further ado, let us talk, or let us listen to me from the past talk to Scott about We Are The Caretakers. If you be so kind, Chris. Scott, who are Hello. you? Hello. Who are <laughs> you and what do you do?
1: Uh, I am Scott Brody and I uh, make video games. I am an independent game designer uh, based in Michigan and we are currently working on a very exciting game called We Are The Caretakers. You are indeed
0: and we'll delve into that in great detail in the second half of the show as regular listeners will know. But before we do that, we need to find out a little bit more about what makes Scott tick as a creator of things for he does along with many others. So, Scott, how did you make your start making flashy, lighty video games?
1: Yeah, uh, <clears throat> we, could, we could start at the, the earliest of ages, uh, playing you know NES and and that sort. But I think the um, the real start uh, began in college. Uh, I was well, actually, now that I think about it, it's, it was actually high school. So I was very lucky to um, have a, an internship program at my high school that just so happened to have a relationship with one of the few uh, game development studios in town called outrage games. Uh, and they were working on a PlayStation two and Xbox title called alter echo. I don't know if that's at all familiar, but, uh, not a lot of plays, but a great, great game, great studio toast to start with. Um, and from there, just working as kind of a, uh, hybrid tester designer type, uh, was able to, um, eventually get another internship with, uh, Microsoft game studios. Um, and i uh that that was fun i made a game called aegis Wing for xbox live arcade and spent a summer uh out there with two other interns uh, it was a pretty unique opportunity i don't know if i've heard of many uh interns getting a chance to kind of just make a game from scratch and ship it on a major platform but uh it was a lot of fun and uh you know a lot of people played it so um it, again a great start that uh Kind of panned out into a full time gig, and and then um, uh, began working as a Xbox Live Arcade producer uh, for about four years with Microsoft. And I was the person helping uh, a lot of independent developers you might know, kind of getting their games onto the Xbox. Um, so I shipped every type of game you could imagine, uh, from platformers to strategy games, and um, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. And then finally just, ended up um, starting
0: just interrupt yeah. you just at that point first of all Please i want off, personally thank you for making xbox live arcade the thing that it became because it turned you know I was, i'm a, i'm actually don't care what platform or game i'm playing on we're actually a bit of virtual green room we had a chat about me modding my mega drive to run 60 hertz games so i don't care what platform i'm playing a game on as long as it's you know i'm playing a game in fact we at kane and rince don't recognize retro for example we just say, it's a game right it doesn't matter when it was made you know it's a game it's, 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 a, it's yeah. a thing so personally thank you. and also found out recently that castle crashes i'm not sure if you're behemoth and you're 10 years old that game's 10 years yeah old <laughs> sorry to make you feel the old and stuff but 10 years a game ten- sorry <laughs> i'm gonna start crying no but, i well, you know and does that really ring any bells for you i mean were you around at the time well, of course you were but I mean, that was, you know, behemoth, but they're still going. Of course they are, but, you know, Alien Hominid, They're remaking that again, I think, and wow,
1: yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, I was around around that time, so I'll, you know, I I was drawn to work at Microsoft all the time because of Xbox Live Arcade. I was, you know, uh, like anyone, I was a Nintendo you know fanboy and Sony fanboy, but I was really, really impressed with what Microsoft was trying to do. They were bringing the types of games that hadn't at that time um, you know, gotten a lot of shine and, and, uh, ability to get onto consoles. So yeah, I was just really drawn to the whole movement and wanted to be a part of it. And so, yeah, it it is, it is weird to look back and, and, uh, try to talk about some of the games I worked on because it is 10, you know, 10, 11 years old now. And, uh, some people don't even have that reference point. Some people don't even remember Xbox Live Arcade because it's kind of been phased out as like a, a, uh, you know, a segment on the, on the dashboard, but uh, it still kind of lives on in the spirit as we, uh, you know, as Microsoft has kind of developed the idea at Xbox program and so forth.
0: Mm. And you obviously moved on from there. Here you are talking to me now, <clears throat> but um, that, was, that was quite a leap from working for a large corporation like that to starting out um, Hot shaped games, isn't it? So, so uh, yeah.
1: yeah. So I start, I can talk a little bit about that. So mm-hmm. I, yeah, I just, I got to the point where I was getting uh, a lot of experience shipping games, and I really, really enjoyed working with the types of developers that I did. I I got to work with Clay uh, Entertainment on their, some of their titles. I worked with, um, uh, yeah, a number like studios from the size of two to twenty, and so getting so much experience across the. The, the board, But ultimately, I was uh, more of a designer programmer at heart and, and had the desire to make my own thing. So it was really just a time to, to do that and take that experience to build those. So I started Heart Shaped Games, and the first game I worked on was a title called Hero Generations. And uh, it's a game, it's a roguelike strategy game uh, where every step uh, is one year of your character's life. And you have to use those years to try to find a mate and settle down and have a child and do it all over again. So it was kind of the, the start of playing with roguelikes and also um, the start of maybe exploring uh, some of these ideas of building in metaphors based upon real life into the mechanics of the game. And I think that was a good starting point for our kind of philosophy as a studio and how that's um, transitioned to some of our newer games.
0: Yeah, you're almost uh, answering some of my questions because there's some extraordinary modeling you've done. Sorry to be so cold, but it's the only way to describe it. What well, you've tried to model societies and and it's that's a big Mm -hmm. ask of a computer which only deals with with boolean logic you know just to that's fascinating so we'll talk about it later but thanks for Mm -hmm. giving us that that sort of like framework because it does lead me on to my next question and i think i know the answer to this one which is very unusual for most guests maybe i'm wrong (laughs) but We'll, we'll see it's the most nebulous question i come up with, and I come up with it like eight years ago, and I've stuck to it. Um, I've had no pushback from many guests to say this is a bad question, but let me just frame it up, and then we can tee it up, I should say, and let's just deal with it. So the dreaded first third question, which is, what are your biggest influences as a creator of things?
1: Yes, I can, I can see why there might be some dread, but it's, it's also an interesting one because I do feel... That my inspirations as a creator come from a lot of different places, and I'm sure a lot of your guests have described how, in a lot of ways, game development is the combination of many different art forms. And so, I was always drawn to character design and uh, just computers in general. I, you know, from my age group, uh, we were kind of the first wave of when the uh, the internet was starting, and, and we were kind of able to you know be ahead of you know most of the you know, adults in our life. So just kind of being uh, drawn to tinkering with, with computers, um, and then just you know everything you would imagine storytelling. Um, but but ultimately, what what I uh, come to are these like complex systems uh, and seeing how we can represent um, you know think using games as a learning tool. I think is kind of ultimately what I would describe what I do and doing it in an exciting way that maybe other forms can't can't teach as well. Um, but in terms of maybe, uh, like that's like maybe philosophically, but like concrete things that, that made me want to be a game developer. Um, you know, I think there are specific games that influence me, like uh, there's a game called Ogre Battle, March of the Black Queen. Um, it's kind of not that... Uh, I don't know. It's not the most exciting answer, and most people don't know it, and it's not necessarily like revolutionary in a lot of ways. But it's something I spent a lot of time with, and I was um, really impressed by the way that it flipped genres on its head. Um, so I, if you don't know anything about this particular game, uh, it is a strategy RTS. Uh, well, I should I should stop myself. Have you heard of this game?
0: Yeah, I have. Yeah, I'm just letting okay. you expand on it because you're <laughs> right. This is it's it's awesome. But uh, it's been a while since I played it, though. But you carry on yeah
1: yeah and 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 we as we talk about we are the caretakers we can kind of show that direct influence there but Mm. um yeah the thing that floored me about it is that i was a big um jrpg fan and it really played with that structure but then expanded it so that not only did you just have you know three or four characters in a party and maybe six or seven that you acquire over the course of a story you you are leading a rebellion and you have to recruit you know hundreds of these unique personalities and and Figuring out how to organize all of them to accomplish this rebellion in the game, um, and so um, that that type of experience was like influential for me in terms of like the things that I really like to make and wanting to explore um, ways to play with strategy games and RPGs in particular. I guess uh, so. Yeah, I'll, I'll stop there. <laughs> but uh, we we could go into any other
0: yeah yeah, uh, yeah
1: particular inspirations if you'd like.
0: No, I do like the fact that you you definitely want to. Share knowledge and share a way of thinking. And also encourage certain ways of thinking, which some people find uncomfortable. And rather than you trying to create it in an abstract way and describe something, a concept in an abstract way, which is the simplest way to communicate an idea or how to think, it is also the most difficult to comprehend, if it makes any sense. So people just don't like listening to people babbling on in abstract terms (laughs) that's it's like why are you not why aren't you being because it gets frustrating because you want them to be specific the problem is they're talking about something that isn't in fact me talking like this (laughs) is ironically like yeah yeah you're doing that yeah i know and it's because it's you know
1: go on No, no, i was just gonna say i know i know exactly what you mean and i'm i I'm not sure if you're familiar with um, Scott McCloud's book, um, Understanding Comics, by chance. No, I'm, so, uh, no, I'm not going yeah. to lie to you. So, please, yeah. Well, he he talks a little bit about that from a artistic standpoint in like using very realistic um, artwork versus very abstract artwork and how those two styles um, allow for a certain level of connection, right? So the more abstract something is, uh, the more useful it is to project yourself onto... That uh, say character and, and relate to them, um, but maybe it's not as gripping up front uh, like like you're talking about. And so I think a lot of ways what we're trying to do, or at least I'm trying to do with my games, is create like a a more interesting, inviting, uh, familiar, um, engaging uh, type of surface for the player to interact with. So you know, for We Are the Caretakers, we've got this very exciting sci-fi thing. Uh, but then as you go into it, kind of slowly pull back that layer and reveal more of like maybe the abstract systems so that you can, uh, relate to it. But removing that initial barrier where people won't interact with the, with the thing, uh, is always a challenge I find. So Mm. it's, it's kind of a, a bit of a bait and switch, but for, for good, for good reasons to, to get, to get people into a topic they may not otherwise, um, want to, uh, you know, hear someone babble on about.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. yeah, Uh, Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's move on to... I mean, there's there's so many different strands we could go on there, but it really is... I think it belongs in the second part. So let's move on to the fourth question, which is also a little bit tough, maybe, but not nearly as nebulous. (laughs) It's more direct. What developer do you most admire in the industry and why? Uh, You
1: know, the the one that comes to mind is... um... Gen Design or Fumito uh, Ueda, you know, with uh, Shadow of the Colossus and Eco. Um, I really admire, um, for a lot of reasons, but I, I really appreciate that. They try to take big swings. They they have that subtractive design process uh, that seems to result in very, uh, like, specific and meaningful moments. Um but they do it in in, um, yeah. They, they do it in a big production way, and they're able to find ways. I guess maybe I, I admire it from the the production angle that they're able to find ways to get people to make something so ambitious. Uh, so I really, really uh, uh, look to that in a lot of ways of like trying to make these meaningful games, but also finding ways as I grow my studio. Uh, you know, how can we grow to kind of hit those heights that that they've been able to?
0: Yeah, um, for me. Shadow of Colossus, still one of the most memorable moments when I slammed it into my PlayStation 2 all those thousands of years ago. And I still like to remind people that that machine is now 20 years old. And they go, no, it's 10, no, it's 20. It's it's 20. Um, But they managed to squeeze so much out of that machine, purely through, I say purely, but it's the lighting, wasn't it? The lighting design. How... I mean, that's where they got the size and scale of things because the machine really couldn't throw that stuff around like, you know, they pretend it could. It really couldn't do that. But the, the horse animation, and it's just... There's more more to it than that, much more to it. In fact, they remade it multiple times over across three generations of machines. <laughs> you know? It's just yes, a lot. Yeah. It's just a lot. I mean, it doesn't... It's it interesting one... to see...
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, it's in- very interesting <laughs> to see how it's still, the old version still holds up. You mm. know, but how there, There's something fundamental there that while the graphics make it a, a great experience, it, it's through those like clever lighting tricks you, you mentioned or just the yes. character designs that allow them to be a little bit... Uh, uh, I don't know what you would call it, like a uh, longer-lasting... Mm. Mm.
0: I think it really it's a game about empathy. Um, I'm not giving away too much there, I hope, but it really is anchored around the concept of empathy um which shouldn't be a concept but sadly (laughs) sorry that's a bit of a thing but it's it's you know that's what it's really anchored in is that focused on understanding what relating to others and their plight and rather than just focusing on your own and that's really what i believe is one of the key lessons from not the only one please don't think that that's a that's mm-hmm. a complete disservice to the game and the medium itself to say it's only one message, one note. Definitely not. But for me, the my takeaway from my experience with it has always been that is empathy. It's similar to Journey, actually. Journey's anchored, in empathy is too. Um, I think, and I think you know, that's very true. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, excellent choice as well of developer. Thank you for for sharing with that. So. Last question in the first half. and kind of obliged to ask this one because you and I are both talking about video games. Therefore, we need to know what we're playing right now. So, sir, what are you playing right now?
1: I am playing... I, I am uh, mildly embarrassed to admit this, but I am playing Hearthstone once again. Uh, I I've, It's been a long, long time... Uh, Enjoyment, but uh, as I'm developing a game and getting close to ship, <laughs> I, I probably shouldn't be spending as much time as I do, but I really do enjoy those collectible card game experiences. Uh, I play a lot of Magic online as well. Um, the newest game I played is... Um, I think Spiritfarer jumps out. I've been playing that quite a bit as well, and I really um, I enjoy that in particular that it doesn't push you in the pacing. Like, you can kind of take as much time as you'd like to um, interact with these characters and, and accomplish what you need. So I like I like the delivery mechanism that they, they put together there uh, to get an emotional experience, but at your own pace.
0: Yeah, yeah, good shout. I think, uh, as you guys are harsh, though, no apologies for that. It doesn't matter. We've had players <laughs> on, we've had guests on to wax lyrical about magic and stuff. We then delved into it, so why isn't it me? And I'll repeat that conversation, you can hear it in that last episode, but, uh, no, it's... I mean, I haven't played it in a very, very long time. Um, I i used to play the um, World of Warcraft CCG, which actually is the same game, but people don't like talking about it, because as soon as Hearthstone appeared, that, you know, analog version of it vanished, suddenly disappeared. I still got all those cards, I didn't, I didn't got around to selling them but i could do but i just don't want to i kind of like having them around uh, because it is an extraordinary game the fact the beautiful fact that you are not the thing being attacked it's the card just to your left or right of you that's being attacked not you it's you know the other thing that that simple thing very simple thing turned the game into a very different dynamic whereas every other game previous to that had you being the the protagonist whereas in hearthstone no no, no, it's just a character that you may or may not be representing but no it's just you know and that i think that's beautiful And, and the the game and the design itself sometimes they got it wrong and they've admitted that you know it's difficult to make games like that and understand that actually you just broke. We found an exploit, and now this always works. It needs to, you know that. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> no, one hundred percent.
1: And and just to be clear, like it's it's the apology is not for the game because the game is brilliant. Uh, yes. And the, the apology is that as a as a game designer, I uh, I feel like I should be playing a breadth of games and being inspired oh, and trying yeah. that. And but I, I keep I keep coming back to this game. It's it's a bit of like the 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 comfort food game for for me uh as you know i'm working on other things and i'm not so much in a um design moment as a as a sort of uh execution moment so that that's that that's the only uh comment about that but i, I do i do love Hearthstone and all the great um design choices they've made
0: yeah yeah and uh yeah i, I can definitely understand where you're coming from and then you know you, you could sort of go into the vast, smorgasbord of games out there, but there's, there's, thankfully, we're living in a time where, quite frankly, it's not physically possible to sit there and play Stellaris and then then play some threes. De- I'm describing myself now, but <laughs> it's just you know, it's it's just not you haven't got the time, and that's fine. that's great. What a what a time to be alive. That's what I keep on telling people. What a time to be alive. Anyway, we could go on, Scott, about what we're playing, but we're not going to do that. We instead. We're going to delve deep into what is We Are The Caretakers.
1: Yes. So We Are the Caretakers is a Afrofuturist sci-fi squad management RPG uh, where you are trying to protect a planet and the endangered animals on it uh, using your squads of an organization called the Caretakers. Uh, you play the uh, main character, the conductor, and you're sort of managing this from a cr- sort of grand strategy level. As well as on a very tactical level, we kind of switch between layers uh, of trying to protect all of these animals. And the way you do that is sending the squads that you formed, uh, much like in an ogre battle fashion, uh, out into the field and uh, looking for animals, looking for clues to poacher activities, to interacting with towns. And once you do eventually find another unit uh, of poachers, or eventually you find aliens, uh, (laughs) you confront them in a turn-based RPG combat system.
0: Nicely done. There's a lot more we're going to delve into. Yes. Uh, But, uh, yeah, I, I, I I, I started playing this with an open mind. I'll try to do that of any game anyway. But especially this one, because... I didn't know what to expect. I tried to watch the video and trailers and stuff, and it's like, no, it's just, this is like the trying to understand Civ in 10 minutes. You can't, you can't, you can't do that. And uh, I, mean, I do mean the first Civ as well. <laughs> Even six is, you know, those types of games. There's layers, so many layers to this. And we're going to try and unpeel some of them, but I don't think we get all of them. But uh, my first design question to you is this, sir. Uh, in We Are the Caretakers, there is a strong emphasis on the need to appreciate the importance of reputation in the conductor's actions. Because he doesn't suffer fools at all. You know, the opening gambit, I'm not gonna spoil it, but it's within five minutes of playing a game, you just you fire someone like you suck. Constantly challenge everything I do you're just not contributing to anything. You're just whining constantly. Nothing constructive to say. Get out. And um, you know why? Why I know why you've done this, but I want you to expand on why. And most of these questions, I hope I know the answer to anyway. And you probably you know you you have you know, virtual green room. We did say you listen to some so so you know where this is coming from. But please expand. Why why have you gone this route with um, with uh, we are the caretakers?
1: Yeah, with with the character specifically, or uh, I just want to make sure I
0: understand. Just yeah, so I just want to understand. So you have to conduct him. He has, or oh, they have, sorry, they have, because it could be male or female. So they have mm-hmm. a reputation to maintain, and Got which it. is then fed into their organisation and they're representing too, because he represents, or oh, sorry, they represent them. So just want to talk about how that. Why is that? Why is that there?
1: Yeah, I. One of the things we we learned early in the game is that or I should say even as we learned early in our research because we spoke with people doing um, the real work uh, and, and the game is largely inspired by those those uh, rangers in the field. Um, we learned that it's a very uh, complicated uh, interaction to have and you these poachers are not always just evil bad guys. Sometimes they're members of the community just trying to feed their families and. Uh, And so we wanted to have a system where you ultimately need to protect these animals, but you have to think about the consequences of your actions on the larger strategy or the larger goal of ultimately stopping uh, the the poaching and the outside actors that that are doing this. So the reputation system is ultimately a solution to provide those consequences. So you can be aggressive. Uh, in a conflict, but then your reputation will be affected and that will affect the people who will recruit you, the types of traits, the characters that appear for recruit will have. Um, It affects the aggressiveness of poachers in future missions and and so forth. So really it was about allowing players to make those choices, sometimes bad or more just gray area choices, right? And, And playing with those consequences uh, one of the things early on we discussed is, um, yeah, do we even allow that? Do we do we do we allow you to make kind of these choices that maybe don't reflect well on the game or, or feel like uh, are not necessarily how we would recommend ultimately being like the takeaway for how to deal with, with poaching? But we felt like that made for a more interesting game and a more realistic uh, experience. So that's really where that, that stems from. And I think it adds a layer of depth, hopefully, uh, across the campaign.
0: Yeah, yeah. We're definitely gonna expand on that later on in this. But uh, that's a great response to that because I just that's what immediately struck me, is like Wow. You can't you can't be a murder hobo <laughs> in this game. Yeah. You know, horrible phrase I know, but it's a it, it's a D and D phrase. some a group of yeah. adventurers just go along murderizing everything with no consequence. And that doesn't happen at all in We Are the Caretakers. Every decision you make does have a consequence both good and ill and indifferent you know sometimes like that's a thing that happened would have a consequence Well, positive i don't know it's relative everything is uh, and uh, you've also been really honest and understanding of the the complication and we'll talk about that later but it's a more you know uh, the preservation of wildlife and, and protection of um, rare species is way more complex than people really understand, and I know you understand that. And communicating that is going to be tough, and it is. You know, you're doing a, a very good job. It's a combat, though, conflict. Maybe we should say that. And we are the caretakers. Um, there's a lot of physical. I'm finding there is physical combat as an option, but you can also break, break the uh, opponent's will so there's a mental chess you know like you know basically i'm not sure how it's modeled or how it's communicated but it's like you're just belittling them or threatening them or basically saying you do you really want to go with this you know let's just not let's not go with physical interaction let's just you know can we talk this through almost or to the point where maybe you should reconsider your actions and your life choices (laughs) um there's, so basically there's all these moving parts there's also a threat meter as well as you as the, as the players are actually becoming your presence your mere presence is creating a threat and belittering and impacting on the the opponent's ability to do anything how how have you managed to um have all these extraordinary moving parts working together how have you found developing this
1: yeah, it's been it's been a process and it's part of why the game's taken three, three years almost to, to complete. Um, but we thought it was important to, again, towards some of those other goals of it not being a game where you just go in and, and bash in the heads of the party and move on to the next one. Um, it was really about, again, trying to model uh, this experience of dealing with folks in the field and. Um, we wanted an option that wasn't physical, and breaking down the mental will, or uh, and 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 all the ways that that could work, uh, made sense. Um, we experimented with um, removing will, and will had different effects throughout development. We ultimately landed on this system though, where it's effectively two separate health bars, and you have. Uh, you know, different different characters have abilities that can affect either one, so the, the outfitting of your squad matters quite a bit of, of who you bring to a conflict. Um, and I guess the, the term uh, we use is encounters because it's not always a, a combat situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but but to, um, I guess, <clears throat> talk through it, yeah, the, the threat and uh, will allowed us to model that non-physical combat. Threat specifically was another way to resolve it without a lot of action but we noticed in a lot of real conflicts that part of it was just catching the poachers or, or getting to this point and once you have them there uh you need to actually be able to engage them and not let them run away so threat was this kind of constant thing of like if you're going too far in make taking these aggressive actions that will pump up the, the threat meter it will uh, potentially cause them to run away and then you won't be able to detain them or um you know get the clues or the the contraband that you you need to get in that situation so it was just another factor to make people again think about their actions at a different level so where reputation is more of a a consideration at like the meta game threats more of the moment to moment consideration that that still has that same effect of creating a consequence
0: yeah yeah and i just i do love turn-based combat i play a lot of Pen and tabletop RPGs although the last one I played was um, Dune and that doesn't really have the same kind of system, we can talk about it after if you're curious um, it doesn't even have a proper combat system, it has a weird thing, but nonetheless because it's Dune for god's sake but what you've got here is uh, created so many nuances that every decision you make, you can let it auto run and just like off you go you can make you can manipulate you say well just break their will uh, or go for force for this lot or you know depends on the kind of or interaction you're having with them and i love the fact you can actually not kill them but just detain them just like arrest them and carry them off in the meat wagon and get them sent off for deportation or what have you fascinating stuff really stuff that you know it's not often spoken about or developed or and then when it is shown in video games it's very clumsy and you've done a fantastic job of being very you know highlighting that you're not going around murderizing people you're you're the you know you're a police person you're a well you're an enforcer you're, you're trying to actually make things better you don't want to make it worse you know two evils don't make a right etc etc so that's really important so and you don't it's not heavy-headed either it's really subtle uh, yeah i,
1: and, I appreciate and, that
0: yeah, that's the hard thing to do because you so easily could have gone over that line. I suspect during the development you did because you're human. And uh, but uh, yes,
1: yeah. <laughs> well, I was yeah. I, I, I do want to say that yeah, the finding the right balance to be uh, not only um, interesting but understandable because I think the the, the thing we were fighting at all times is we wanted to model all these things, but um, helping players you know onboard into that and understanding it uh was the biggest challenge so in a lot of times when we were pulling some of these systems out it was towards the goal of um trying to simplify but in the end we felt well if you're if you're if you're in for this type of experience we might as well give you the full experience and if if this isn't for you it isn't for you and i I can i can be comfortable with that uh for for those players
0: yeah that's fine so and that's question. What, you've, you've described this earlier, but I want to expand on it now. There are three levels of interaction with We Are The Caretakers. Um, I call it the Total War model. <laughs> it's not quite the same. Total War has an overworld, and there's the local map, as I call it, the local immediate environment. And then there's the combat itself. Sorry, correction, encounters. Quite right, thank you. Um, how have you found integrating all of these three visual interactions with the player whilst maintaining the greater whole? Um, I found
1: it difficult. <laughs> mm. But it, but it uh, I think it, again, is necessary in the sense that um, just looking at one of those layers probably doesn't give you the whole picture of what's involved. And so we we felt uh, early on that balancing these three layers was, was kind of the thing that that made our game work. Um, now, doing it technically, obviously, that's not the focus of this podcast, so we won't go into that. But in terms of the um, the combining of the three layers, um, I don't know if this part's interesting to you. But again, going back to our research, when we were talking with Rangers, they had um, these like pillars of anti-poaching, and it was very interesting to see how much of it was about like community management and um working with the government to get resources or making sure justice was done for poachers that they brought in and so we just felt like omitting those layers would be um would not would not do justice to the topic so that's really the emphasis of it and then you know just just to be completely honest again uh, i talked about my love for ogre battle early on and much of that structure i felt Uh, mapped really well to this experience so just kind of following that format and just you know getting to make kind of a i've always wanted to make a game like that so this was the perfect format to do it so we started from that framework partly from that and and just kind of figured out the bits where um our uh our system differed in a meaningful way to kind of create our own our own thing
0: yeah yeah it's um i i do think it the the graphic stylings and the iconography you've been used and all of that, it's really, there's a single language running through We Are The Caretakers, which is, once you understand that, you can then see what's important and what isn't. You've done a really good job of, and the colour co- contrasting is really good, like the blue and the orange, really clever stuff. I've seen that in a lot of games recently. I think it has something to do with you know, colour blindness. I'm not personally colour blind, but I think those, those colours actually contrast very well apparently um so whether that was conscious or not i don't know was it it
1: it was conscious uh i I would love to take credit for the colorblindness part but uh Mm. uh, that that's a great uh benefit um i think really the the shout out here should go to our art director um anthony jones um Mm -hmm. who is just fantastic and really um built the case for this kind of afrofuturist uh unique world um and he obviously has a a mastery of of color theory and all of those things and really um helped um bring a level of polish to things and then just very quickly you may have a question about narrative but um i think there was a, a great collaboration between he and Xavier nelson jr who is our narrative director who helped shape the world that he then visually represented
0: yeah i want to talk about the people who occupy the world because they're fascinating um, they're bipeds like us you know that's fine and uh, and but uh, and there's some you know can relate to that, but generally there's some very unique things happening, and there's some and I love the fact that they've the, written the it's written in such a way that the they assume the player knows who, who these people are. It's just like yeah you know these the, the, the such and such and those people and they're terrible and there's like I have no frame of reference. Like we'll just listen to how they're interacting with each other. That's what you're gonna get because it's the people that make the society, and then you have to figure out who the bad guys are, in inverted commas. And it's very difficult to determine. Of course it is, because it always is. Um, but I just want to talk about how you manage your teams. Because your teams of, of, of anti-poachers, or I should say enforcers, or conductors, or uh, people who are under the conductor's charge, I should say, these teams are made up of a hodgepodge of people, some more better suited to the task than others. Yes, um, and you can even recruit them from the people you had former, somewhat um, aggressive encounters with. How did this come about? What, what, what was this about? I've, I think I know why, mm-hmm. what this is about because you know the best anti-poacher is a former poacher. Um, but that's where that's coming from. Is it really recruiting from the ranks of people who you once op- once uh, opposed? Yeah,
1: yeah. It, it, it's it's coming from an overall theme of. Uh, we need to come together from different backgrounds and, and uh, experiences to solve this. We're not going to solve it by ourselves, and we may have meaningful differences between us, but we have a shared goal in mind. And so, I think building that in mechanically is is there. Um, again, I keep going back to the to the research it's rooted in, but uh, you know, we we found many times that resources are very very limited. Uh, if you, you have very very small groups of people managing miles and miles of landscapes by themselves. And so it's really kind of a situation where in a lot of cases you'll, you'll take whoever you can get (laughs) to just, uh, fill out a patrol, even if they're not like the, the perfect, uh, hire, so to speak. So it was definitely rooted in that, but I do think it, it makes it interesting. Um, maybe, um, darkest dungeon is a good reference point here that we looked at where the people are imperfect, you know, via the traits that they, they have in the game, um, or the abilities that they they have to bring to bear, or how they interact with other characters. Um, but that's the part of the game. You know, it's like working with those challenges to kind of fit together something that models uh, what you want the outcome to be. Um, and I think playing with that imperfectness uh, just adds a layer of interest to the game. Um, and we we try to again. We can maybe split this into a separate. Uh, question, if you'd like, but uh, we then tried to take that systemic idea and model that in the in the sort of personalities that are in the story.
0: Well, I'd love to delve into the narrative, but I've, well, my, what my concern about that is that this is what drove me more than anything as I was playing through. It's just, who are these people? What's driving them? What are their motives? What happens when they encounter something that's unfamiliar? Which is really brings out different personalities and aspects of people's personalities when they encounter the unknown uh the the the, the fight or flight thing is, is is strange you know we as a sentient beings are obsessed about change and new yet we're also afraid of it <laughs> you know and it's uh that that's really wonderful where you i mean as i said to you uh earlier on it's just uh, modeling that honestly is difficult because then it becomes a bit uh you have to start looking in the mirror a little bit more than a little bit and that can be hard, but um, yes. yeah. How have you found that? We we'll side off with this one, but how have you found being honest with oneself and creating these models, no matter how uncomfortable it gets?
1: Yeah, if, in some ways, that's the that's been like the great joy or the the value of this project is that it's not just your your standard you know puzzle platform. I love puzzle platformers. Don't let me denigrate those, but uh, it's it's. It was, a, it was a design challenge I hadn't faced before, and uh, facing it with this team, uh, a wonderful, diverse group of people uh, confronting um, kind of all of these situations and learning from each other how we felt and how we wanted to bring that to the game um, was really um, fantastic in the end, and I think it made for, um, hopefully, a, um, a story that could reveal something that you don't see in games as much. So I, I think, for me, just simply... Um, while yeah, it does cause you to kind of look in the mirror, um, uh, with, with your thoughts and like, like, how have I not thought at all about how this, uh, poaching and animal trafficking works and affects me in the U S you know, where, where this is going on across the world, you know, just, just taking a second to like peel back a little bit of this, um, this topic and learn more, uh, is revealing about, uh, yeah, what you know, what you don't know, and then, you know, just to bring that back to the game, hopefully our game will incite that curiosity to, like, learn a little bit more and have let players have that experience for themselves.
0: Indeed. And we are the Caretakers, which has been developed by uh, Heart Shape Games. By the way, where did it get the name for the studio from? It's a great name. Oh, thank you. Um, Yeah, that was just me Thumbing
1: through names, but it just came from the idea that I wanted to make, you know, I felt like uh, I wanted to make games that had heart, you know, in their design. Um, uh, whereas maybe some of the games at the time when I started the studio, uh, I felt like that wasn't as common. I think indie games have kind of exploded since then. And I think there are lots of developers trying to explore those deeper spaces. But uh, early on, that was the the kind of the model for the studio. Could we make games with a little more love, a little more heart uh, in them?
0: Yeah, yeah, it's great. And so, yeah, so we are the caretakers. It's out on early access for Windows PC via Steam at the moment. I'm sure there are plans for other platforms in the future, but that's where it is at at the moment. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, they're having an absolute blast with it. It's extraordinary experience, and it does... A lot of times I've paused the game, not because I was had to busy, I had to do something, I just had to, like, huh... <laughs> 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 so yeah, thanks for that. Normally, I pause the game for a reason I'm probably laughing too hard or sitting there going. I mean, this happens a lot recently. The game I'm going through is like really, really. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas with uh, we are the caretakers, it's definitely self-reflecting and also wanting to know more about our own plight rather than, uh, as you say, the the mirror world or realm that you've created. So uh, yeah, thanks very much.
1: Thank you. That's, that's wonderful here, and and wonderful to hear. And thanks for having me.
0: You have been listening to the Sausage Factory podcast, part of the Canaan Rinse Collective. Support us for just two U.S. dollars per month at Patreon.com forward slash Rinse for early, extended, and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube, and at our website, CanamRins.com.